So we're in the Gospel of John, and tonight we're beginning John chapter 14. We are looking at the last words. It's an eight-week series, looking at the last final words of Jesus to his disciples before he goes to the cross. And as we took that series on Sunday morning, uh, looking at the essentials of our faith, and we're going to wrap that up this Sunday, a lot of those came from sort of the last words of, of the apostles uh, in the New Testament. And so I thought it would be good for us to uh, examine the last words of Jesus. Because obviously all the words of Jesus are significant. All of them carry weight. But especially the last words that he left with his disciples before he left this earth and went back to the Father carry great weight and great significance as well. And so I thought it would be good for us to go back over these chapters because they are some of my favorite chapters in all of the Gospels. And tonight again, we're going to look through the first you know, few verses, uh, the first half of John chapter 14. Notice what Jesus says here to begin with. He says, do not let your hearts be distressed, agitated, stirred up, if you will, troubled, disturbed. You could use all of those words to describe the word distressed. And think about it now, though. I mean, Jesus has told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm, I'm going to die. He, he's, he's, he's told them he's getting ready to go back to the Father, so he's going to leave them. What they're getting ready to experience is all the trials, all the rejection, the crucifixion, and death of the one that they've been following. It Jesus is telling them, don't let your hearts get all stirred up, and don't let them be agitated, and don't let it be disturbed. Don't, don't be churning up on the inside, even though all these crazy things are happening around you. And then Jesus tells them how they can do that. He says, you believe in God, believe in me. Personal faith, personal trust, personal confidence in Jesus Christ is what can allow us to navigate these crazy circumstances that are happening around us and not allow our hearts to get all churned up stirred up, disturbed, and agitated, if you will, on the inside. So notice something here, too. Jesus is not telling his disciples, look, I'm going to make everything okay for you. I'm going to make the road easy for you. I'm going to take away all the bad circumstances that are coming. No, he doesn't say that. He tells them, look, you can be in a place of peace, if you will, on the inside, and not be all stirred up, not because everything's going well, because obviously what's ahead, as I said earlier, the trials, the rejection, the crucifixion, and the death of Jesus. And then, yeah, then he goes away. But he's saying to them, but, but here's what will allow you and your heart to stay at rest. Just trust in me. Put your confidence in me. So it it's really comes down to in our lives. And this is what really growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ and even living our Christian life is all about. It's learning and growing to place more of our faith, more of our trust, more of our confidence in Jesus. 
in Him. Again, it's not, it's not as important as to you know, how much faith we have at first as it is the object of our faith. And Jesus is calling on His disciples, have faith in Me. Have I let you down up to this point? Have, have I ever told you something that doesn't you know, come about? Have I led you down a wrong path ever before? No, you have walked with me three years, guys. You know you can trust me. Keep on trusting me. And Jesus would say the same thing to you and I tonight. Maybe we don't have the same experience as the disciples to actually walk with Jesus. But in a sense, if we've been a Christian for any length of time, then we've been walking with Jesus for months and years. And Jesus would say to us, look, haven't you been able to trust me? Have I ever told you anything that didn't come true? Was there ever a promise that I made to you that didn't, you know, wasn't able to be fulfilled? Have I ever let you, you know, somehow, uh, you know, go off somewhere without, you know, me being there and watching over you? I can be trusted. So keep trusting me. This is so important because it doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian. It doesn't matter how much growth we experience in our lives. Throughout our seasons of life, there will always be seasons and we'll be put in positions where we've just got to, you know what, I, got, I just got to trust Jesus in this. Because it's out of my control. I don't have the control of this. Or it, it, it's something that just comes on us and we didn't see it coming or whatever. And, or it's something that someone else might cause, but, or we might even cause. But in the midst of it, Jesus is saying, trust me. Trust me. And that's what he's telling his disciples. Now, to, to sort of add to that, Jesus wants to comfort them because, again, he's told them, I'm going away. And now he wants to tell them a little bit about why he's going away. It's actually for their benefit, for their good in so many ways. And the first thing he wants to remind them about is verse 2. There are many dwelling places in my Father's house. Now, I think Jesus is describing heaven here. And if you study the word dwelling places, one of the important things that those words mean is the idea of a permanent residence. In, in my Father's house, there are permanent residences. And it reminds us again that our home really isn't on earth. We may be living in a home, but our true home is with Jesus in heaven. And, and here we have, at the very best, temporary residence, uh, residences because we're pilgrims, we're sojourners. We're just passing through this earth on our way to our permanent home. In fact, uh, this past week I, I did the memorial service of, of Gene Sutton, Carol Bailey's mother. And the passage that I used in the message was 2 Corinthians 5.8, where Paul is talking about to be absent from the body is to be finally at home with the Lord. You see, to Paul, this is not our home. To be at home is really to be with the Lord. That's where we are. And there's a permanency there. And then he goes on to say, otherwise I would have told you. If... if if there wasn't a place for you guys and for all who believe it, I would have told you, I'll be up front with you. And then he goes on to say, I'm going away to make ready a place for you. 
And I love the words make ready. It, it not only means to prepare, but to provide. And, and think about this. Now, the Lord of glory is leaving the earth for a while and he's going to make all the necessary preparations for each of us to have a personal space in heaven. And Jesus is taking it upon himself to be the one to actually sort of be the the end-all, be-all of our personal spaces, all the way from the conception of it to being, in a sense, if you will, the architect of it, to being the contractor, to being the one that actually does it. He sees each of our personal spaces through from beginning to end. And when we get there, it's going to be so cool because we're going to find that our Jesus personally designed a personal space in glory just for us. Just for you. Just for me. And so he says, if I'm going away and making this place ready for you, then I'm going to make sure that I'm coming back again to take you to be with me so that where I am, there you may be too. And notice this, Jesus saying, look, I want to be with you. Again, think about that statement. Not everybody wants to be with us. And here's the perfect, holy, sinless Son of God who says, I want to be with you. In fact, the words that Jesus uses here speaks about association and companionship. So think about what Jesus is saying. Not only do I want to be with you, I want to be with you forever. I want to associate with you so that you and I can hang out through all eternity. I wouldn't want to hang out with me for all of eternity. I'd get tired of myself. And yet Jesus says, I want you to be with me. And I want you to be with me forever. Again, Jesus is trying to just give these disciples whose hearts are so agitated and stirred up and disturbed such reassurance and comfort. And then he goes on to say, and you know the way where I'm going. In fact, the words again here that Jesus uses, you disciples already know the way and you know where. Now notice Thomas. And I think Thomas was just speaking. I I think they are all thinking this, but Thomas is like, you ever have, you have a group of people and, and you're all thinking the same thing, but there's always the one that's actually says it out loud. That's usually Peter or Thomas in the disciples. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? And notice what Jesus' response is. And here in the original language too, Jesus, the I is emphatic. In other words, Jesus saying, I, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. In other words, here's what was happening. The disciples were with Jesus. In fact, Jesus was in the very room with them. In fact, he was standing right in front of them. And don't miss this. Think of this picture in your mind. Because this will apply to our lives as well, many times. There's Jesus right in front of them. And yet they're saying, they're claiming, I don't know the way. 
And yet what they're doing is they're looking past Jesus and that's why they don't know the way. Because in a sense, they're overlooking the way that's standing right in front of them. They're bypassing the way because they're looking past Jesus. And Jesus would say the same thing to you and I. Whenever there's something in the way or, or you know, we need the ability to cross over something or go through something or whatever, I think Jesus would say to us, I'm right here. And we're always like looking past Jesus. Now, I wonder how, and, and Jesus is saying, trust me, I'm the way. Don't look past me for the answer. I'm the answer. I'm always the answer, Jesus says. Look to me. I'll get you across. I'll get you across. In fact, when Jesus goes on to say, no one can come to the Father except through me, the word through means to successfully cross over. The only way we get to the Father is to successfully cross over by Jesus. That's it. And I want to apply that principle to our lives in each and every situation. If you and I have an obstacle or something in our way, an impediment to our life spiritually, then Jesus is the answer. He's the way we cross over. He's how we get through it. He's how we rise above it. He's how we overcome it. He's how we conquer it. The answer is always in Jesus, which is why he started out this chapter or this discussion with the disciples at this point by saying, Believe in me. Trust in me. Keep having your confidence in me. So I hope that will encourage you tonight. If Jesus Christ is in your life, then be careful like the disciples not to walk with him all this time. And yet when it comes down to needing answers for things that you look past him and you're like, God, I don't, I don't know how to navigate this. And many times as Christians, we go, well, why isn't God answering I'm asking God for help. I'm asking him for the way. And I think what Jesus would say to me at times is, well, the way standing right in front of you. you know, how, how are you missing me? I, I'm right here. I'm your way. You don't need to look past Jesus for anything else. Everything we need can be found in our very sufficient Savior. And then Jesus goes into this very important concept, especially for the disciples, of, of helping them to understand that, yes, God is three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But He is also one. And therefore, God is so unified in what He does that Jesus is trying to, to show all of us, look, if, if I'm doing this, then the Father and the Spirit are as well. In other words, one of us, even though we are each a separate person, None of us within the Godhead is going to act in a way that the other two wouldn't. Okay, you understand what I'm saying here? So if the Father does something, then that means the Son and the Spirit would do the very same thing. There's never been an instance within the Godhead at any point where, say, the Holy Spirit says, Hey, uh, Son, Father, I, I think this is the way we should go. And the Father's like, Oh, I don't know. I don't agree with that. They always act in complete unison and continuity with each other. So what Jesus is trying to get them to see is, look, if you experience me, then you at the same time experience the Father and the Spirit. 
Because even though we are three persons, we are all one. And therefore, you're experiencing the entire Godhead all at the same time, even if you're just experiencing one person of the Godhead at the time. So in other words, let me even make this, try to make this even more maybe practical. When the Bible talks to us as New Testament Christians about being led and guided by the Holy Spirit, obviously, that's part of his ministry. But don't think that it's like, well, the Father and the Son could care less about guiding us and directing us. No, in a sense, they're right there with the Spirit as He's doing it too. They're, they're wanting to provide guidance and direction too. It's just that that's the Holy Spirit's role. So that's what Jesus is trying to get us all to see here. So that's why He says, verse 7, If you have known Me, then you know My Father too. If you've become acquainted with Me through personal first-hand experience, which you disciples have, You've come to know me. Then you know my father because you know him through me. And Jesus goes on to say, and from now on, you do know him. You have firsthand experience of the father because of your experience with me. In fact, he even says, and you've seen him. It just simply means you've become aware of him through me. So now think about that. I hope, I hope I'm not adding to confusion. I hope I'm, I'm actually clarifying or, or, or trying to, to actually make it clear. So that's like, if we even say as Christians, because every once in a while in theology we do this, you know, we break out the, the, the Godhead. And we'll say, I'm, I'm going to do a study on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do a study on God the Father. I'm going to do a study on the Son. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's not forget, if I'm doing a study on the Holy Spirit, everything the Bible teaches me about the Holy Spirit is also true about the Son and the Father. Because they're one. And if I'm understanding the Holy Spirit more, if I'm getting to know the Spirit more, then I'm also getting to know Jesus and the Father more. Because that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. Through your experience of getting to know me better, you've actually got to know the Father as well. I, I hope that concept is you know, catching. Notice again, though, these disciples. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be content. Just, you know, pop him out there, Jesus. Make him appear. You know, poof, there's the Father. And I love this too. You know, Philip's like, oh, it'll satisfy us. No, it wouldn't. Again, Jesus, you know, when you and I start to ask for experiences, then experiences aren't what satisfies. Because then if we get that experience, then we want another experience. And then we're not really living by faith, we're living on experiences. And Jesus doesn't say anything about that yet, but here's what he says. He says, have I been with you for so long? Have we went through so much disciples that you've not known me? Wow, that's a pretty important statement that Jesus makes. Have you not learned anything about me in three years, walking with me as your disciples? And this is really key, guys, because this really comes down to to a big thing about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's growing in knowing Jesus. And then obviously through knowing Jesus more, we know the Father more and we know the Spirit more. It's knowing them. 
And that's why it's a relationship and it's personal and it's firsthand contact. Just like we are with each other on a human level. If, if you have a friendship and a relationship with somebody and you guys hang out with each other and, and continually, you know, have contact with you, you begin to know each other. You know what each other's likes and dislikes are. You know what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. You begin to know each other. And that's the same thing as we grow in our walk with God, we truly get to know Him in a very accurate way. And, and this is going to come into play here in just a minute when, in regards to our prayer life. Then we begin to know His heart. We begin to know what pleases Him and what makes Him tick. And it's the same thing is true on a human level, you see. And so Jesus is saying, guys, have you not walked with me three years and you still really don't know me? So think about it. Now, Jesus is also pointing out something that's very dangerous, is that we can sort of walk with Jesus to a point and still not gain any further knowledge of him, if you will, through a relationship with him. We can, we can hang out, but we never come to really know him in a deeper, more intimate way. And that's the whole goal of why Jesus wants to hang out with us is so we get to know him more. So hopefully through that firsthand knowledge, we, we begin to realize who Jesus really is. And we can come to points like the disciples and go, you know what? My life might be crazy right now, but I trust Jesus because I know him. I know him. And I know he's going to be with me. And I know he's not going to let me down. And I know he's my way through this. But that kind of confidence, if you will, only comes from that gaining knowledge of who he really is as we walk with him. And then he says, the person who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've experienced me, if you become more aware of me, then you've experienced the Father and you've become aware of him. How can you say, Jesus, after all, again, that we've been through, guys, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? We're, we're one. We're, we're tied together. So again, Jesus is trying to share with them just how unified the Godhead is. And when one is doing it, they all are doing it, you see. In fact, he goes on to say, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. While I was here on earth in my earthly ministry, the Father residing in me performed His miraculous deeds. And I was, I was allowing myself to be your example, to be led by the Father and to do things as the Father directed me. That's, the, that's sort of this mystery, if you will, the incarnation, that even though the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is equal with God the Father, that in the incarnation, by Him taking on that human flesh, if you will, He laid aside willingly the independent use of His attributes as God and He allowed Himself to be led by the Father and by the Spirit, as we see throughout the Gospels. Amazing, isn't it? That, that one of the Godhead 
would do that for us because he wants to spend all of eternity with us. Again, the the miracle of even Christmas, if you will, the incarnation taking upon himself human flesh. And so I hope even as we go down through these words of Jesus that our appreciation for Jesus and what he did for us and what he's doing for us will even grow and we'll even worship him and praise him even more. He goes on to say, believe me, verse 11, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you don't believe me, believe because of the miraculous deeds themselves. Because these works that Jesus did was proof that the Father was working through him at all times. Verse 12, I tell you the solemn truth. The person who believes in me, who again has faith, confidence, who trusts in me, will perform the miraculous deeds that I'm doing and perform greater deeds than these because I'm going to the Father. And it's not that Jesus now is not doing it. What he's going to say here in just a minute is, I'll continue to do it, but I'm going to do it through you, through the Holy Spirit who resides in you. I don't expect you to do miracles or Great things apart from me, because even Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can't do anything. I'll do it through you, but you've got to trust me. You've got to believe. You've got to have confidence. And it didn't take long for this verse to be realized. Because think about it. On the day of Pentecost, when at least 3,000 people came to know the Lord the disciples had already had more of an impact, if you will, in bringing people into the kingdom than Jesus had while he was here on earth. And that's what Jesus is saying. I mean, he was looking ahead to the church and the power of, of, of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit working through mere, frail human beings, and yet because God was going to be able to work through them, and because people were actually going to allow God to work through them, that the extent of of the impact and influence that the church would have would be greater than Jesus' own personal ministry while he was here on earth. Wow. And that's what Jesus wanted to try to get his followers to see. Guys, Just because I'm going back to the Father doesn't mean God's packing it in and and the best is, you know, behind us. Don't you realize because I'm going to the Father and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and He's going to dwell within you and I'm going to give you the gospel, I'm going to give you the Word of God that is living and powerful, that as you all go out into the world, God is going to use you to influence and impact more people in this world than I ever did while I was on earth. That's something the church, we need to realize. And that's, I think, something that even Jesus expects of us. That the opportunities he's given us, and I think that's what is so humbling about the technology and the stuff that we have in our hands today, and and why I'm humbled whenever I read emails or get notes from people all over the world who from this little church in Chandler, Arizona, is listening to podcasts or watching the videos or you know, now maybe reading my blog off of the uh, website or now maybe reading a book or something like that. It's just, it's mind-boggling. Obviously, Jesus in his day never had the web to be able to send out his message worldwide like we do. This is what Jesus was talking about here. The opportunities are endless for us. And I think we need to take advantage of them. And then Jesus says this. 
And we'll close with these two verses, but these are very important. So give me a few minutes here. Because this really deals with prayer. And we're going to be starting a 16-week series on prayer in just a couple of weeks. Jesus says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I'll make it happen. First, let's start here. Jesus uses a very important word. It's the word ask. God has set it up that He wants us to ask. He wants us to ask. He wants us to learn and grow to ask. In fact, James says in James chapter 4, you have not because you ask not. And there's nothing unspiritual about asking God for things. Jesus always encourages us to ask. In fact, I think what Jesus here is teaching in this passage and other passages, and even what the apostles teach in the rest of the New Testament in connecting asking with prayer and all of this, is that asking is actually a demonstration of our faith, confidence, and trust in God. If I don't believe in God, if I don't trust Him, if I don't have confidence in Him, then I won't ask. If I believe, that he hears and answers prayer, then I will ask. And my faith will actually drive and fuel me asking God. But that's not where Jesus ends it, though. Jesus qualifies that ask. He says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's Jesus mean by that? Jesus means this. To pray in the name of Jesus isn't just some formulaic thing that we add to the end of our prayers. I'm going to pray whatever I want to pray and then I just end in Jesus' name. Amen. That's not what Jesus meant. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to end our prayers in Jesus' name. But that's not what Jesus means here in asking in my name. He's saying, as you know me, as you get to know me, as you and I become closer and closer, you'll know what to ask. Because you'll know me. And you'll know whether I'm going to be okay with this or not. Because you know me. So when you ask something that you know aligns with what I'm okay with, my glory, the furtherance of my kingdom, all of those things, then that's, that's what builds our confidence, if you will, in praying. It's, that's why I can approach God with confidence and boldness. Because I know through my relationship with Him, I already know that this is something He's going to be okay with. I don't sit there throughout my Christian life and try to figure out what God's will is and then start praying about it. 
What Jesus is directing me to do here and in other places is just use your life and get closer to me. And through you walking with me every day and talking with me every day and being in my presence and fellowshipping with me and communing with me, you're going to know what my heart is. So that more and more as you go through your Christian life, your prayers and the things that you ask for will totally be in line with what my heart is all about. Now, to illustrate this, let's go back to the human level, to relationships. As we get to know even human beings, other human beings, do we not build a knowledge of of certain people that we would have confidence to be able to approach a person and ask them for something because we know what they're like and who they are? And so, therefore... We don't go with fear and trepidation. If we're choosing to ask this person, it's probably because we know them. And we almost, in a sense then, if we're fair and honest about this, we almost know what their response is going to be even before we ask them. Why do we know? Because we know them. We know their heart. We know what they're like. So that's why if I don't have a relationship with somebody and I'm asking them for something, that's where fear comes in, doesn't it? Because we're not sure, we're unsure of how they're going to respond, how they're going to react. Are they going to be okay with this? How are they going to look at me? But if I begin to know somebody, I almost know what they're going to say to me before I even ask it. Because I know them. I'll just give you an example, and I'll use a non-family member. Sorry, Nicole. Through my relationship with our staff over the years, whether it's Crystal, Nicole, Chad, whatever, we get to know each other to the point where I know that if I approach Nicole and say, Nicole, would it be okay if we did this instead of this? I know what her response is already going to be. Because I know her. You see what I'm saying? That's what Jesus is trying to illustrate here. That's asking in his name. It's like, because the name of Jesus, when they use that phrase in the Bible, that phrase embodies all that the Bible basically reveals about Jesus. To do something in his name and and, and to glorify his name is to, to sort of summarize everything the Bible says about Jesus. And so as I get to know my Jesus better, like I said, I know his heart. I I don't have any problem approaching him, and I certainly am am not approaching him in fear out of, oh, I wonder wonder what Jesus is going to say to this if I ask for this. Now, If I'm in a situation in my Christian life or maybe in my growth or even in my relationship with God where I'm not close yet or whatever and I don't have that comfort, then I think that's where the Bible says, you know what, if you're not sure, then just leave it with God, whatever your will is. Teach me what your will is here. Help me to understand what your heart is in this matter so that maybe the next time this same situation comes around, you're going to use this experience to help me to understand where your heart is in in these things. 
And that's what Jesus has been trying to do with his disciples for three years. That's why discipleship is that personal contact and and growing in our knowledge of each other and becoming more intimate with one another because as we know each other, we begin to know the hearts of other people and, and we truly then begin, even in our relationship with God, to have, an, if you will, a comfort level but also a confidence as we approach Him. I mean, think about it. If I really know God and know His love for me, then what would ever keep me from saying, God, I need help? Do do I not think that God would help me, wants to help me, has helped me? Do I not think He really loves me? In fact, can I tell you, in my study ahead for some of the things that I'm writing about, I'm even realizing after all these years just the depth of God's love for me and for you. That he, here's how the Bible says it, that, I don't know whether you remember this or not, but there's a term in the New Testament for like our our emotional level, if you will, and and many times it's it's our bowels and intestines, because we know that when we're, when we're truly our heart and and all of that is in something or with someone or something, that that area of our gastrointestinal, you know, it gets affected. Do you realize the Bible teaches that God gets that way with you and I? That He literally loves us and cares about us that much that if God had bowels and intestines, they'd be all, you know, stirred up because he, He literally cares that much about me? And you? Wow. That's, you know, way more than a lot of times, if not most of the time, I give credit to God for loving me that much. You know, and sometimes I almost think that even as Christians, we can almost think of God's love for me as more of a, an intellectual thing, but not an emotional thing. And I think what the Bible teaches us is, obviously, because we're made in the image of God and God gave us emotions, that God has emotions too. And God gets emotional over us. And so I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Saying, guys, I want you to spend time with me. So that you will get to know me. And as you get to know me, you'll know that you can trust me. And you know that even if your entire world is falling apart all around you, as the disciples' lives were going to, what their world was going to be in just a few hours, Jesus says, but I'm going to get you through it. You just trust me. Trust me. And as we learn to trust God and as we learn to know Him, let's also remember something else here. That we're not just knowing one person in the Trinity, we're knowing them all. The experience and the learning and the awareness we have with one is also equal to the other two as well. And, And that Jesus calls us to close fellowship and to this life of discipleship with Him so that 
we will be reassured and reaffirmed in our lives here so that we'll know what awaits us. Unbelievable. A place that Jesus Himself has designed just for each of us. And then Jesus says, oh, and and even though I'm up there, I'm never far away. Just ask. I'm right here. I'm, I'm living in you through the Holy Spirit anyway. Just ask. And know my heart. And know how much I want to help and support you and be there for you. And if you know who I am, and you know what I'm all about, you'll never be afraid to ask. Let not your heart be troubled. I know we live in a world today, and for many of us, even in our own lives and in our families and all of that, the circumstances are such that it's absolutely reasonable to be stirred up, to be distressed, to be disturbed, to be agitated on the inside. But Jesus is saying, look, even if I don't change anything about the circumstances, I want you to know that I'm here to change you, if you will, and to make you stronger. Life doesn't get easier, folks, but we get stronger. And that's what God wants to do with his followers. Make us stronger. So that in the midst of everything, we just keep trusting in Jesus. And he's what's going to get us through and help us to cross over to the other side. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, if we could just, if we could just trust you more. If we could truly see who you really are, how much you love and care for us, how much you want to help and support us, and how sufficient you are, there would be no reason, God, to never not trust you, not to have confidence in you, And yet, God, many times we find ourselves in life and situations where we get all churned up on the inside and stirred up because of what's happening all around us. God, may we learn to be centered and grounded in Jesus Christ. May we hear the words of Jesus to his disciples right to us as well tonight. You the ones I love there in Chandler, Arizona, you believe in God. Believe in me. God, help us to believe in you tonight and who you are and who you have revealed yourself to be and who you've proven yourself to be in our lives over and over and over again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.